If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter five. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. We're getting better. We're improving. We get excited about the word. For anybody who is your first time, we're not crazy. Maybe, kind of. (laughs) We might be. But we get excited about the word. We get excited about opening God's word. And uh, Matthew chapter five is where we're gonna be tonight. What you just saw in that video are some of our leaders who um, serve faithfully each week. And we are currently in a series titled, I Am The Light. And uh, in this series, our goal is to quite literally shed light on some of the dark issues that we face and how Jesus Christ is the light that overcomes them all. That's the goal of this series. We are real people. We are imperfect people. We are sinful people. We have to get that out of the way. It's a fact. Not a lot of people like that, but we are broken, hurting people. We constantly have trouble and we have brokenness in our lives. And you look at America, you have divorce running rampant. You have adultery running rampant. You have sin all over our world and our nation, and we are broken people too. And so when you come here to the view, our prayer is that we're not a superficial ministry where you see a whole bunch of mannequin looking people. We got one mannequin, he's at the table and that should be it. But you don't walk in and see a whole bunch of fake superficial people. We are a ministry of real people who have real issues and real problems. We are imperfect people, but we have the great privilege, and great honor of coming together to worship the perfect God. The God who has no sin, the God who has no error, the perfect God. So thank you for being here tonight. As we talk about this series, we have to be real. We have to be honest. We can't tiptoe around the struggles that we have. We can't tiptoe around depression. can't tiptoe around pride. We can't tiptoe around trust, joy, some of these positives. We have to acknowledge them and see what God's word says. So if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Last week was I am the light of the world. John chapter eight, Jesus' statement about himself. Well, tonight it's flipped. One word is different. Here it is. You are the light of the world. Tonight from Matthew chapter five, I wanna talk to you about you are the light of the world. Now, I wanna point out something fascinating to you before we go any further. As you're writing down the title at the top of your notes, I do pray that you're taking some notes tonight of what God's word has for us. Jesus, in the book of John, makes seven I am statements, Gabby. He makes seven I am statements. Some of you have them memorized. Some of you have known them longer than I have. Uh, But he makes seven I am statements. And in fact, I wanna put those on the screen. The seven I am statements are, number one, I am the bread of life. Uh, Number two, and if these don't come up on the screen, that's fine, I'll read them for you. Uh, The first one is, I am the bread of life. The second one is, I am the light of the world. The third one is, I am the door of the sheep. The fourth is, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Now you remember in Exodus when God said, when he revealed to Moses who it was that Moses was going to serve and lead on behalf of, I am who I am, God's name, I am. Jehovah, his personal name, I am. Well, Jesus comes along in the New Testament and the fulfillment of the Old Testament to the New Testament is amazing, of course, because Jesus then finishes that statement. (laughs) What God begins in Exodus, Jesus comes quite literally in the New Testament and finishes that by these statements. All of these reveal the characteristics and the nature of Jesus Christ. Each one of these are hopeful. Each one of these are true. Each one of these are statements about who he is. Now, I wanna show you something fascinating about these seven statements. There's only one of them that Jesus takes and turns it to focus on us. Out of all seven, which are critical and crucial, there's only one that Jesus repeats in regards to you and me, and that is the light of the world. 
in Matthew chapter five, his Sermon on the Mount. He never says, you are the bread of life to his disciples. He never says, you are the true vine. He says, you're the branches, but he never says you're the true vine. But what's so fascinating about the light of the world statement, PJ, is that he takes it and he reverses it towards us. He shifts the attention, Peyton, right back on us. He says, you are the light of the world. Isn't that fascinating? So here's what I wanna challenge you with. If Jesus said it, we need to listen, number one. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? <laughs> amen, if Jesus said it, we need to listen. But if Jesus would go so far as to take one of the statements that reveals who he is to then reverse, to say something about our nature and our characteristic as believers in Christ, that's important. We should listen, but not just listen. We should apply it. We should live by it. So as we come to Matthew 5, here's a few things you need to know. This is Jesus's sermon, his kingdom sermon, his kingdom coming sermon. Matthew is all about the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Each time that you see the kingdom of heaven represented in the Bible, it's not so much spoken of in the future tense of, oh, once you get to heaven, you've joined the kingdom of heaven. No, God's kingdom is spoken of as now, presently, right here, happening, currently on our earth. Jesus is the coming kingdom. And so when we come to Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, before this, of course, lays out moral principles that we are called to live by that don't make sense culturally, right? When you read the Beatitudes, they don't make sense culturally. How am I blessed if I'm poor in spirit, <laughs> right? Because in our world, PJ's going in real estate, he knows this. You're blessed by the bigger house you have, right? Or the more following that you can attain, or the more people that you have following on social media. The bigger you can build your brand, you're successful in the world's eyes. But Jesus says that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. So it's very fascinating when you look at this. Now, chapter five, and the verses we're gonna look at tonight are pivotal to the life of a believer. If you're not a Christian here tonight, thank you so much for being with us. We're glad you're here. I was not a Christian until 21, so I get it. I was lost for a long time, lived for the world for a long time. I get it, I understand, as do a lot of people in here. My prayer for you tonight is simple. Not that you would join Bellevue. If that's what God's doing in your heart, come on, we'd love to have you. Not that you would join the view. My prayer for you, if you are not a Christian, is that you would just consider giving your life to Jesus Christ. My team, we have been praying for you because I know that some of you are here tonight who don't know Jesus, and that's, that's I understand where, where you are in your journey. But man, we have prayed that you would give your life to Jesus Christ tonight because it's the best decision that you will ever make. Churches may fail you, people may fail you, Jesus will never fail you. Can I get a witness? Amen. For believers, this is a great challenge tonight as to how we are called to live. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to being a light in our world, we often speak of sharing the gospel the same way we speak about cleaning our car. Understand this very clearly. You ever been around somebody who talks about the need to clean their car? <laughs> they'll bring it up. You didn't even have to bring anything up about their car. They'll just tell you, man, I sure do gotta clean my car. <laughs> Like, man, we're talking about sports. What does this have to do with your car? <laughs> man, I've been needing to clean my car for a month. Like, they feel guilty. Like, it's weighing over their head. Man, I gotta get around to cleaning my car. I got cookout trays in my back seat. <laughs> somebody, that hit hard for somebody. Somebody's like, dang, pastor been in the parking lot looking through my car. I know, I know how it is. I've been there, not now, but I've been there. <laughs> We always talk about the need to clean our car. It's this burden wearing over our head, but we rarely get around to it, be honest. We rarely get around to cleaning our car. Listen, that's how we speak about evangelism. That's how we speak about sharing the gospel. We talk about it all the time. We talk about, oh man, I need to share the gospel. I know I need to share Jesus in my workplace. I need to share Jesus at college. Oh, I need to know. We talk about it like it's this burden weighing over us. And just like cleaning our car, we rarely ever, if we're honest, 
get around to actually sharing the gospel. It's, it really is, quite literally, one of the most talked about things in churches, but one of the least actually lived out things. And I'm speaking on my own life too. How many opportunities do I miss sharing the gospel when I go to Huey's? The waitresses know me by name. It's not hard. <laughs> and I have so many opportunities to share the gospel. And what I want you to know is so do you. So let's look at Matthew chapter five. <clears throat> We're gonna talk a lot about evangelism, living as a light, living differently. And I wanna give you my sermon in a sentence tonight, where we are going in one sentence. Here it is. If you don't pursue lost souls, and if you don't look and live any differently than lost souls, how can you be a light to the lost? A convicting question for me, maybe it is a little bit for you. But if you don't pursue lost souls, and if you don't look and live any differently than lost souls, how can you be a light to the lost? If your life as a believer doesn't look that much different than a lost person, then it's kind of hard to be a light to them. I got a newsflash for you. I don't want to be too blunt tonight, but light doesn't blend with darkness. In fact, light drives darkness out. Christians, when they try to blend with the world, it's not how you are called to live as a believer. And I'm speaking to myself tonight too. Now, as we look at Matthew chapter five, understand this. When the large crowds came, Jesus retreated. In fact, look at with me, Matthew five, verse one and two. Watch this. When, the, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, look at this, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them. The audience is very important here. There are non-disciples who have come up to hear Jesus' sermon, but Jesus' focus is teaching and training his disciples. Jesus' focus, all through the Gospels, if you watch it, when the crowds come, Jesus moves, the disciples follow, then he begins teaching. Go do a study on that, it's very fascinating. His focus was teaching and training his disciples because they were the ones, the followers of Christ, who were really going to take the Gospel to the ends of the earth. His focus was his disciples. Who's your disciple? Do you have one? Do you have anybody that you're pouring into or investing in or, or sharing Jesus with or teaching how to read the Bible? Who is your disciple? Now, look with me at verses 14 to 16 and let's pick this apart tonight. Starting in verse 14 of chapter five in the book of Matthew, it says this. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Let me ask you just a question for a pit stop. We're doing these little lamp tables, and I'm explaining a little bit. If we want to do these lamp tables and set them all up in that closet right there, would that be of any benefit to you at all? If y'all all came in and said, hey, we got 10 lamps for you, and you couldn't see them, would that help you in any way? Nobody lights a lamp and then hides it in the closet. So why in the world do we think that God would put his spirit in us to shine, and then we go hide and try to blend in with the world? These lamps are quite literally propped up on a table to shed light and to lead you as to where you're supposed to go to pray tonight. They're not hidden. They're not tucked away. Believers, are you hidden? Are you tucked away? Are you not really shining the way God has called you to? It's challenging. I know it is. Let's keep going. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here. God, we pray that you would have every word to say, Lord, as, 
It's not about my opinion. It's not about our opinions. It's about your truth and what your, what your word says. And Lord, what your word says goes because your word's perfect. So Lord, we come to you humble. God, we, we wanna hear from you. We want you to do a work in our hearts. We want you to do a work in our loved ones' hearts tonight. So Lord, we just pray that you would move in this room, God, that you would speak to us, that we would walk with you tonight. And God, I pray for anyone in here who is struggling with the things that are on these cards who are struggling to trust you. Anyone in here tonight who is struggling to have peace? Anybody who is in a season of depression? I've been there, Lord, it's hard. Anybody in here who struggles with anxiety or fear or shame? God, we pray that your word would not return void. I pray, God, that you would save anybody here tonight who doesn't know you. And Lord, I pray that as believers, we would walk away encouraged and convicted and challenged to live how you have called us to live. God, we love you so much. Bind the enemy from this place. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. I have three quick things for you. Let me give you number one. They're action steps. Number one, be a light today. Number one, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is be a light today. When you pick apart just these three verses, there is so much here. How often does God's word speak about the fact that none of us know if we have tomorrow? Think about it. How often does God's word remind us that we don't even actually know if we have a tomorrow? For anybody in the room, do you have any confirmation, 100% that you are going to have a tomorrow? Do you know? I don't. Isn't that crazy? Think about that for a minute. Like, How many plans do you have for tomorrow though? Like you know your whole day. I know my whole day tomorrow. I know what I'm gonna do. I know when I'm gonna wake up. I know when I'm gonna come in. I know who I'm gonna talk to. Dakota. <laughs> like think about your semester. How many plans you got this semester? Oh, it's crazy. I know you got meetings and you got events and you got powwows. <laughs> if y'all do that. I always thought that word was awesome. Powwow, let's have a powwow. You got all kind of stuff planned? We already have our bonfire date for the fall. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at it like, I'm planning a bonfire date. I don't know if I have tomorrow. <laughs> That's right, that's right. Sign up for the bonfire, text bonfire, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not yet, can you imagine? January 30th, hey guys, text bonfire, it's in November. But we wanna go ahead and get you on the list. Have you matured to a point where you have realized you don't know if you have a tomorrow? I'll turn your attention to Proverbs 27, verse one. It says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. In my personal reading, I read a text that's connected to this one in Luke chapter 12 because I am tempted every day. I don't know if you are. I'm tempted every day to store up my treasure in earth and not heaven. I'm so tempted to find my value and my worth in earthly treasure instead of heavenly treasure. And I read this text that shook me to my core. Do you ever open up God's word to read in your personal reading and you walk away just kind of like with chills down your spine? Does that ever happen? It happens for me. Sometimes I read and I walk away encouraged, ready to go, feeling warm, feeling loved, and then sometimes I'll walk away and I'm like, man, God has told me exactly what I need to do today and it's up to me to obey. And I read this text about planning. This is what it said. I don't need to add anything to this. I'll let this speak for itself. I never have to add anything to it, actually. Luke chapter 12, verses 13, here it says, someone from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? He then told him, watch this, Watch out and be on guard against all greed. College students, do you think in our culture we struggle with greed just a little bit? Just a little bit. I mean, let's be honest. You never hear about greed, do you? You hear about 
there's all kind of stuff in the world, but you don't ever hear about greed. I can't tell you the last time I heard a full sermon on greed, but Jesus warns specifically of greed. Then he says this, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Because <laughs> what do you do when you're blessed? You just tear down the barns you have and build bigger ones, right? <laughs> what do you do? You build bigger barns. Store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat. Drink. Enjoy yourself. Play Warzone. That's not scriptural. That's not a part of it. That's what my wife would say. Yeah, Daniel, play Warzone. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be now? You think about that. Whose will they be now? It goes on to say, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God bless you. God bless you. A lot of allergies, change of the weather. How often do we place our faith in our possessions? In tomorrow, in our future in our plans. We line out our career. We know every single step we're gonna take for the next 10 years. We know when we're gonna get married. We've tried to get all these things planned, but we don't even know if we have tomorrow. So turn your attention back to Matthew 5 for a moment. Notice this. There's a reason why I broke that down. Jesus does not make any error in his teaching or his words. So when he says, you are the light of the world, I want you to understand, a lot of believers read this and they add to it subconsciously. Sam, a lot of believers add to it. I'm gonna tell you what they add to it. They read it and they don't read, you are the light of the world. Here's what they read, Haley. Are you ready for this? This is how we read this text often, subconsciously. Instead of saying, you are the light of the world, we read it as you are slowly becoming the light to the world and one day you may get there. We read it as you are not a light yet, but once you get married and have that house, then you'll be a light to the world. We read it as you may be a light. Or we read it as you are sometimes a light, and that's cool. Choose when you want to shine. It's fine. You can turn it off and on. <laughs> Jesus has no other conditions. Jesus says you are the light of the world. Jesus is not speaking about tomorrow. He's speaking about today because you don't even know if you have a tomorrow. But a lot of us in this room are putting off or delaying our shining. We're delaying when we're going to live for Jesus. Understand this. I would love for you to write this down. When Jesus says you are the light, he is stating what a believer already is, not what a believer might become. He's speaking about you right now, college student. If you're a believer, he's talking about you right now, not when you hit 30, not when you have kids. You'll shine then. But he's saying that you are meant to be the light of the world right now. This reveals a huge thing to us, that it is our very nature as believers to be a light to the world. Hear me. It is not just your calling to be a light. It is your nature to be a light. It is not just your calling to be a light. It is your characteristic. It's not just what you do. It quite literally is who you are. So when you and I try to not live for Jesus, when we try to blend in with the world, when we try to blend in with darkness, you're not just saying no to your calling. You're going against your very nature. When you and I choose to love sin, 
When we choose to love sexual immorality, when we choose to love gossip, when we choose to love pride, when we choose to live however we want to live, you are going against who you have been designed to be. Jesus says, you are a light right now, Ethan. You are not growing into one. You are not becoming one. You are being sanctified to be like Jesus, but you are called to be a light right now. College students, are you shining for Jesus or are you blending in with the world? If a lost person evaluated your life, would they see anything differently compared to their life? At all. I can imagine a lost person Watching a believer's life, watching my life. You pick whoever it is. Oh, yeah, they, they claim the Bible is the word of God, but they sure don't spend a lot of time in it. They claim prayer is literally approaching the throne of grace, asking God to move and intervene in this world. They claim to believe that, but they sure don't pray a whole lot. Kind of makes me think if prayer's real. I mean, I've watched their life. They get mad at people and store up bitterness and unforgiveness and Jesus says to them that they are the light of the world, but they're supposed to love their neighbor. But when I look at their life, they don't really love their neighbor. They love people who are in power and can do something for their career, but they don't really love anybody who can't do something for them. I'm just throwing out hypothetical scenarios. I don't know your life. You do. I don't know your life. I know my sin. I know my life. I know where Jesus is convicting me. The question is, are you going to do something about where Jesus is convicting you in your life? You are the light of the world. Presently, at this moment, no further questions, Your Honor. Romans 6, 4, the verse that we always say when we baptize is this right here. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Not only that, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3 even expands on this more. I'll give you this one. It says this. We all, in verse 18, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. A lot of Christians are trying to get their lives together before they live for Jesus. Jesus is ready to use you right now. But isn't that hard to understand? Let's slow down here. Isn't it hard to understand when you think about your sin you think about your fears, and you think about your faults, isn't it easy to say, why in the world would Jesus actually want to use me today? Isn't it easy to believe that? Because what, what does the world tell us? The world is completely opposite. The world doesn't want to use you unless you have some glorifying resume. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You go apply for a job. I applied 12 times to Malco Theaters. <laughs> Didn't get a single phone call. 17 years old. Connor works there. Praise God, I'm glad that you do. <laughs> but they didn't call me back, Connor. <laughs> they didn't want me. They didn't think I could clean up popcorn. Hired on, hired on the spot. <laughs> I don't know what you wrote on your resume. This is no joke. I literally wrote on my resume, <laughs> I love movies and I'll talk to your customers about movies. <laughs> my resume was blank. I didn't have anything on my resume. I had never worked. I'd worked with my dad fixing cars. I wasn't coaching yet. I was 17 years old. I didn't have anything on my resume. Of course they don't want me. Like this dude can't clean up popcorn. 
This dude can't sell tickets. My resume was blank. Seriously, I had nothing on it. They're not gonna consider me. You go apply for a big corporation, they're not considering you without some degree. They want to see a resume. So our minds don't understand that Jesus wants to use us right here and now because we think we gotta build our Christian resume. I got a newsflash. God does not care about your resume. God cares about a humble heart. Some of you say, Daniel, that's a big statement. Prove it biblically. All right, don't worry, I prepared. When God was looking to get Israel out of slavery, which Moses did he call? He didn't choose the 40-year-old Moses that just killed the Egyptian who was super confident and tough. God sent Moses to the wilderness to be a shepherd for 40 years to the point where he was 80. And scripture tells us he was the meekest man on earth, weak. And that's the Moses God employed to go get Israel out of slavery? God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God ain't looking for a big resume. God's looking for a humble heart. God doesn't need a big resume to do something with you. He just needs a humble heart. Oftentimes, the lowlier you are, the more God is willing to use you. Because Jesus chose tax collectors, fishermen, to spread the gospel to the entire world. Not the Pharisees, not the religious leaders. He went to the tax collectors. He went to the fishermen. So if you're sitting out there and you're trying to build your Christian resume before God can use you, I got a news flash for you. If you have a humble heart, God will use you. God will use you. Praise God that the kingdom of heaven does not operate like Malco. <laughs> and there's probably a Malco manager watching right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you never called. <laughs> God ain't looking for you to get your life together before he uses you. When I got saved at 21, I was a basketball coach at Bartlett, and I promise you this is a true story. The first verse I ever memorized was Romans 6, 23. The very first verse I memorized. And the day I got saved, two days later, God sent me my first job. <laughs> two days later, I had my first gospel appointment. Two days, I'd been a believer for two days. And as clear as day, I sensed the Holy Spirit impressing on my heart when I was at high school Bartlett basketball practice. practice God said, you're memorizing Romans 6, 23. Memorize it with that basketball player too. And you know me, I was like, hmm? It's like, you know, Lord, ain't it enough that I'm memorizing it? I ain't been doing this this long. I'm like 48 hours in. The Spirit impressed my heart. He said, no, you go memorize it with that basketball player too. So I walked up to him. His name was Tiger. He's a good dude. Dapped up. So what's up, my guy? I was like, hey, listen, man, it's gonna be a weird question. We're like in the middle of practice. It's like layup lines. And I'm like, would you wanna memorize Romans 6.23 together? And he's looking over at me like, Romans 6.23? Is that a play coach? Is that a motion offense? No, it ain't a motion offense. Well, kind of actually. You'll get that one later. <laughs> That's actually kind of good. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'll start memorizing Romans 6, 23 together. In practice. I'm telling you, this kid would go, do a layup, do shell drill, close out on somebody, break down, get a stop, come over to the sideline. For the wages of sin and death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Run right back out there. <laughs> and I'm standing over there like, God is using me. <laughs> There is some truth to that. He, and, and man, this was six years ago. This, is, this has nothing to do with me getting any kind of glory. I could care less. I don't want any glory, but I want to tell you, I saw multiple basketball players get saved in the middle of practice when I had been a believer for a week. A week. And man, I was terrified to share the gospel. I still am. And I was shook. 
I'll tell you that as humble as I can. Seeing those guys get saved because I had just become a believer the week before shook me to my core. So now at 27 years old, when I go out to University of Memphis campus or when I go to Huey's, quite literally, I say, if God used me to lead people to Christ when I had been a believer for seven days, what could he do through me now? What's different from me to you? I have no extra anointing. I have no difference at all from me to you. We are the exact same. Doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. I have no extra access to God. I have no extra anointing from God that makes me different. I have the exact same Holy Spirit living inside of me. The exact same Holy Spirit living inside of me. I've been called to be a pastor and I've been called to preach, but I have the spirit living in me that you have in you. Tell me one reason why you can't go out there and be used by God to see people to get saved at your college and at your workplace. Give me one reason why. You can't because God wants to use you and he wants to use you right now. We each have our own unique calling. We each have our own different anointing from the Lord. But none of them are more special or less special God wants to use you. And if you would say this, Daniel, I am quiet, I am shy. <sighs> I, there's a lot of people that could do it better than I could. Okay. God will take the quiet, shy, humble-hearted person before he takes the prideful, loud person. You see it through scripture. You see it play out. He wants a humble heart. A humble heart. Not only that, not only number one, be a light today, but if I could give you another one from Matthew Chapter five, it would be this. Number two, be a light that reveals truth. <clears throat> so number one, be a light today. We don't know if we have tomorrow. But number two, be a light that reveals truth. I wrote this down in regards to light. When you really study this verse by verse, and you can add this to your notes if you'd like to. The function of light is to make reality and truth visible. Think about this for a moment. Giving direction and guidance by what is seen. The quite literal function of light is to make truth visible. Now cross-reference that to John 14. Another I am statement, John 14, verse six, right? If light reveals truth, John 14, six says this. Some of you have memorized. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So college students, understand this. A believer's purpose is to shine light on reality. You exist, you know Jesus, you are a believer to shine light on truth and reality. And reality is this, design demands a designer. Design demands a designer. When you look at your body, you look at your brain, and you look at the way you have been formed, and you have an incredible design to you, do you know that? You talk to doctors, they're amazed by the design of your body, that your brain is one of the most complex designs out there. That when you look at our universe, you look at our world, and how we're the exact distance from the sun that we need to be to have life on this planet, and all these incredible details that go into our world and our universe, when you look, what you find is you find design. Now, you go out in the field, find a textbook, pick it up, I ask you, hey, where'd that textbook come from? You're not gonna tell me that it fell from the sky. You're not gonna tell me that that textbook kind of formed over time because a book has to have an author. 
It's got words that make sense, that tell a story. It's got this binding here. It's got all these pages that have been woven together. And when we look at our world, when we look at our universe, and when we look at your body, design demands a designer. You have a design. And so we believe the truth is that there has to be a designer. Now, where I have come to in my life, I don't know if you're there, but where I have come to in my life is I believe our designer has made himself known. Our designer has made himself known through his word, through intervening in human history, and through Jesus Christ on the cross. That quite literally, the one who has designed us has revealed himself to his creation and also wants to know his creation personally and he wants you to know him too. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that amazing? That's truth. A believer's role as light in this world is to shed light on truth. That's why we share the gospel so that people understand quite literally what is reality. I know my home better than anyone. I know what a dresser is. I know what a bed is. I know what a couch is. I know what a fridge is. I definitely know what a fridge is. I don't need no help finding the fridge. I know where everything else is in my house. And your house, your room, you know where everything is. But when I get up in the middle of the night, I still don't walk through my house without picking up my phone. Why? Because my understanding of reality is flawed sometimes if I don't have a light that's guiding me. And I'm sick and tired of stubbing my toe on the edge of the bed. (laughs) I've had enough. Light sheds. Truth on the reality around us. A believer sheds light on truth. Now, we have a lot of believers who aren't really living for truth. They're living for feeling. They don't follow truth. They follow feelings. Feelings are a great passenger. (laughs) Feelings are not a great leader. Ah, Daniel, I disagree with that. I think my feelings are awesome. I think they can lead me. What I would say to that is how often do your feelings change? Uh, if, if we're gonna be honest, a decent amount, mine do. Man, one minute, you can ask my wife. I'm partying, happy, upbeat. Boom, a task hit me that I gotta get done. <sighs> it's grumpy, Daniel, now. Ain't that right, Hannah? <laughs> How often does truth change? Depends who you ask in our world today. Truth doesn't change. The sun sets, the sun rises. That's a truth that's going to happen. And so in our world, we cannot be led by our feelings. Feelings are great, but we can't be led by them. We have to be led by truth. And in our culture, you have to understand, truth is under attack. There's a great war that is happening on truth in our nation and in our world. And it's nothing new. It's been that way for a long time. But in our world, there are many things that we would consider biblically truth. And we're not mad at anybody. The last thing we are is mad at anybody. But when our culture, here's what you see. When it comes down to race, right? So when it comes down to race, let's talk about race, right? We... People say all the time, let's talk about hard issues in the church. All right, here we go. Race is an issue that we can't seem to get right in our world. Does one race have more value than another race? We, we just don't understand that. Why is racism wrong? Well, the Bible says that racism is a sin, that your value does not come by the complexion of your skin. Your value was determined by God at creation and by Jesus Christ when he died for you on the cross. That's what it comes. Racism is a sin. I'm not gonna get into all these, but I just wanna tell you, there's a war on truth when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to when life begins, when it comes to these hard issues that we walk through, when it comes to anxiety, and when it comes to how we should handle ourselves in the world and who really is our neighbor. There's a great war that's happened on truth. What's a believer's job? Is a believer's job to go out there and men hate people who disagree with us? That doesn't sound like being a light. Sadly, there's a lot of, people who are not Christians, who are atheists or Muslim or whatever it is, who have been hurt by Christians, who have been hurt by hate shown 
by Christians. That's not being a light to the world. Our job as believers is to love our neighbor, whether they agree with us or not. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> love your neighbor. It does not say love your neighbor when they agree with you on racism, <laughs> right? It says love your neighbor. Jesus, the verse we quoted last week, Jesus did not return insult for insult. Believer, even when you're insulted in the world, you're not called to return the insult. I mean, that's tough, ain't it? I said this to the nine o'clock service yesterday. When somebody talks about your mama, you want to talk about their mama. <laughs> you gonna say something about my mom. I got one for your mom. Your mama. Never mind. Filter. <laughs> Filter. <laughs> that's good. That's right. <laughs> you're a jerk, man. <laughs> he said, that's when you were lost, Daniel. <laughs> okay, you're a jerk. <laughs> we don't return insult for insult. What do we do? Watch this. Here's what we do. When you have somebody who disagrees with you, I'm speaking to believers, when you have somebody who disagrees with you on gender, you're not called to hate them. That's never in the Bible. You are not called to be rude, to be arrogant. You're not called to set out and make it your mission to win an argument. Understand that. That's not your calling. What scripture has said is that your calling is to be a light to all people in the world, no matter what they believe. Now, that means you love them, but if light reveals truth, that means you can never sacrifice truth. This is hard, but hear me. You love people who disagree with you, but you never sacrifice the truth of the Bible. And when I've been in conversations, I've had plenty of them. When I'm in conversation with people who disagree with me on what the Bible says in regards to gender and sexuality, I tell them every time, hey, this is not Daniel's opinion. This is not Daniel's opinion. We don't need my opinion. I believe what the Bible says. And I love you. Whether you ever agree with me or not, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna care for you. I'll hang out with you, man. We can go to putt-putt. Serious, I have best friends that are atheists. And I don't rest my soul with them because they rest their soul differently, but we hang out and we kick it and I love them and they know where I stand. They know I live by the word of God. They know I believe in the word of God. And I share Jesus with them, but I never sacrifice truth because if I sacrifice the truth of the Bible, I'm not loving them. If I really believe that heaven and hell are real, then how is it loving to go to an atheist and be like, yeah, you know what, just live however you want to, that's fine. That's not loving if I really believe heaven and hell are real. So for my best friend, Stephen, who's an atheist, who I was just in his wedding, if I really love him, I'm gonna hang out with him. I'm gonna encourage him. I'm gonna be a good friend to him. But at the same time, when he asks me or when we talk about the Bible or issues in our world, I can't sacrifice truth because I want him and I want him to understand God's truth the way that I have come to in my life. So you lovingly love all people, but you never sacrifice truth either and you pray for them. And that's where as a church, we've often missed it. But I believe that this generation, I believe the people we have in here can go out there and love people of all religions and all backgrounds and still not sacrifice truth. Does that make sense? That's our calling. That's how we shine to a lost world. Love and truth. It is not loving to lie to someone, especially when heaven and hell are on the line. I wrote this down. It is a believer's responsibility to not just believe the truth of God's word, but to stand for the truth of God's word. And when you lovingly stand up and shine to a lost world, don't be surprised when you face persecution. Don't be surprised when you get rejected. Like, if Jesus is the light of the world and they nailed him to a tree, what do you expect they're gonna do with you sometimes? If Jesus was truly the perfect sinless Messiah and he was crucified, then you and me are gonna face rejection. In fact, 
Peter talks about this in the Bible as the Bible speaks on all things. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. In other words, when you go through fiery ordeals, that's kind of what's supposed to happen as a believer. Instead, here's your exhortation. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a, meaning, right, you go out there and cause trouble with somebody, you're not being a light to the world, you go out there and cause trouble with somebody, and then they beat you up, there's no glory in that, right? There's no glory in that. It's talking about when you are living for Jesus and you face persecution, that's when you get glory. Not when you're rude to somebody and then they beat you up. It's when you are suffered for the name of Jesus. He goes on to say this. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Before I move on, let me say this as clearly as I possibly, possibly can. And if you have questions, you come and talk to me afterwards. We don't stand for truth to feel good about ourselves or to just prove people wrong who disagree with us. We stand for truth because that truth of Jesus can save lost souls from going to hell. Do not live for truth to win arguments. Live for truth to win souls. Stop making it all about winning arguments and focus on winning souls and then you'll love people whether they agree with you or not. Whether they agree with you or not. Not only that, though, I got one more that I want to give you. Let's look at with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. Jesus says, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In other words, it benefits other people. Does your light benefit you? Does the way you live benefit you? Does it help anybody else, too? Is your light shining in a way where it helps people? And he goes on to say this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Number three is be a light that reaches lost souls. <coughs> Excuse me. So not only number one, be a light today. Not only number two, be a light that reveals truth. But number three, be a light that reaches lost souls. Souls. A couple years ago, Dakota introduced me to one of his friends, and uh, I went to Chick-fil-A with him. Anybody love Chick-fil-A in here? Amen? So-so, I guess. <laughs> Burger King's a little better. And uh, we went to... <laughs> Yeah, call me when Chick-fil-A has a Whopper. Uh, just kidding, I don't believe that. Somebody's like getting up, like, that's enough. I could handle the true stuff, but this is enough. <laughs> Can you imagine? I had a lunch with one of Dakota's buddies from high school. They knew through football and stuff like that. We went to Chick-fil-A, we sat down, we got to talking. I've never forgotten this moment. I've never forgotten this moment over the last four years. I sat down with one of his friends in Chick-fil-A, we're chopping it up, enjoying our chicken sandwich. They didn't have the mac and cheese yet, so we're enjoying our chicken sandwich and fries and everything. I'm talking to him. I realized very quickly, yeah, this, this dude does not know Jesus. Like, this guy is not living for the Lord. He's not involved in church. Like, he doesn't have any kind of real background, maybe a little bit. And I realized he doesn't know Jesus. 
And so I get to talking to him. I start having this conversation with him. I start talking to him about design and what he thinks we're here for and our purpose and everything. And I wrote this down because I didn't want to mess it up, to be honest with you. I've never forgotten this. It, I, I was asking him about uh, his lifestyle and I realized that he was living in sin and he was living in darkness and just kind of living for the world. I asked him this on the spot. I said, what would have to happen for you to believe that God is real? <clears throat> he looks at me dead in the face. He says, it's already happened. I know God is real. I just don't live for Jesus. Word for word, he said that to me. I was shocked. So I looked at him, I said this. I said, what happened that made you so Sure, God's real. And he goes, Dakota. All he said was Dakota. And I'm sitting there staring at him. I say, what do you mean? He fleshes this out. This is what he said. He says, I have watched with my own eyes Dakota Tucker's life radically changed completely and 100%. Coach, he called me coach. He said, coach, he is not the same person. That's what he said. He said, he used to do the same sins I do now, but not anymore. He's changed. He's happy. And this is the last thing he said to me. He said, if it wasn't God, it was something. <laughs> but, God, but Dakota's change, his life change, is a miracle. And I don't get it. This guy was lost as a goose, living in darkness, <laughs> literally living for sin, and as lost as he was, his eyes could see clearly the light that was shining in Dakota Tucker. I mean, it doesn't matter about Dakota getting praise or glory. It's all about Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, as somebody who was lost until 21 years old, sometimes the only thing the lost world actually needs to see is that there really is a light and there really is a difference in your life. In darkness, you could see the light. Let me ask you a question. When the lost world looks at your life, do they see their life too or do they see the light? When the dark world looks at you, do they see Jesus shining? Because I'm telling you right now, the people at your work, the people in your college, the people that you're ministering to, the people that you're sharing Jesus with, you might not know it. You might feel like there's no hope. You might feel like they're never gonna get saved. You might feel like you are just sharing and living for nothing. But I gotta tell you, you never know how often the lost world is watching your life because they want to know, is it real to you? Has your life actually been changed? Now, I don't wanna give you a big question like that and leave you. I wanna give you something to write down. And I want you to think about each of these. I want to guide you in this moment to evaluate if you're a light. And you're not gonna be perfect in these areas. Let me preface, you're not gonna be perfect in these areas. But I want you to ask yourself the question, am I shining in these areas or is sin ruling over me? So very briefly, let me give you this. Five areas to prayerfully evaluate. The first one is, do my words and thoughts glorify Christ? You can write these now. As you're writing this down, I'm gonna invite the band to make their way back out here. Do my words and thoughts glorify Christ? You think about that for a moment. Is the way you speak and the way you think any different than the lost world or does it look very similar? This is not to beat you over the head. I'm in the same boat. I ask myself these questions too. 
This is for us to see, are we really shining as the light of the world? Number two, do my prayers glorify Christ? Do my prayers glorify Christ? Do I pray for other people or are my prayers just throw up prayers for me? Number three, do my responses and reactions glorify Christ? When things don't go your way, how do you respond? How do I respond? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it, is it any kind of sin that maybe God's wanting us to repent of tonight? I don't know. That's for you. That's, that's for me to ask me and for you to ask you. Just be willing to ask yourself the right question and answer honestly. Number four, and maybe the hardest one on here. Does my private life glorify Christ? Show is hard to be a light to the world when we're not a light privately. Do we live for Jesus when no one's looking? Do we live for the word when nobody's watching? When there's no earthly credit to be had or is it just a show? And then lastly, does my public life glorify Christ? For believers, that's your challenge. That's your exhortation. That's your action step. Would you consider tonight and this week evaluating these areas, ask the right questions, and answer them honestly, and let God do his work in you because you are meant to shine.